So Money Episode 797, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host, listener, Ruben Supernamiam. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome. October 19th, 2018. I am on the uh, other side of my book to brand workshop. I know last Friday I was all nervous about how it was going to work out and it went beautifully as it always does, but I'm a nervous wreck always in the run up to these workshops because they're, you know, it's a big deal. It's like a big production. It's two days all day. People are coming and going. I've got lists of speakers. This year we had about 20 speakers at Book to Brand and it went so well that I am considering doing it again in 2019. So if you're listening and you're an entrepreneur or a thought leader or an expert in your field, whether you're a physician, a lawyer, a money coach, a psychiatrist, a wellness coach, a nutritionist. I'm just trying to think of all the different people that have come through Book to Brand. And you're interested in up-leveling your career and your personal brand through a fantastic book that is self Healthy, prescriptive, nonfiction. I don't want any Harry Potter authors, you know, although that would be awesome. I just can't, I don't know if I can help you, but people who want to do nonfiction, not fiction, get in touch because this is kind of the, uh, the period where I'm on this high from book to brand and I'm really looking forward to the next one and I'm very generous with my discounts. <laughs> so if you contact me and you're in it and you want to do it, uh, let's talk because we could probably find a nice uh, sweet deal for you. It's normally a, a very high ticket program for figures, but it is something that uh, many people say, you know, it's it was their money best spent that year because it just helped them fast forward a lot of the work and understanding and people networking to get their book off the ground. So that's all I'll say about that. And uh, we have a special co-host today on Ask Farnoosh, a listener. I love these days. I love when I get to actually bring on a bona fide listener to the show to help us with all of our money questions. His name is Ruben and he it works in financial services, but that's not all folks. He also has a side company, a, a small business that he has started, K2 Collaborators LLC, which I'm going to have him talk all about. I just love learning about people who have the time and bandwidth and interest to have a full-time career and a passion project, which maybe will turn into the full-time career. I don't know. He doesn't know, but maybe that could happen. Ruben, welcome to So Money. Can you believe you're on the show? No, this is very exciting. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm saying that not because I'm like this amazing podcast, but you know, you wrote to me saying how much you love the show and it's been helpful to you, and you've been a so money fan. And uh, you know, a lot of times we listen to podcasts or we listen to we see YouTube videos or we follow people online, and there is this wall right that goes up. It's like you and them, and then there's this barrier in between. But this is my attempt to bring people on the show like you who listen to kind of bridge 
bridge that gap and to make us all one and say, you know, I'm the host, but I'm not the only expert in the crowd. You, Ruben, come to the table with a lot of experience and expertise. Tell us about K2 Collaborators and how it started. Sure. Um, I studied economics and finance in school, but I also did study public policy and I've always had an interest in nonprofits and in uh, education. One of my early jobs was in the consulting field and through that I felt that a lot of the practices from consulting for private organizations could be leveraged by public organizations or nonprofits. And I have a few friends in the education field and who work with charter schools. And so a lot of my projects early on were either working with nonprofits or education-oriented organizations and helping them come up with things like a business plan and finding business partners. And it's been a really exciting experience because a lot of times people have great ideas um, and they just need help from someone to articulate a story or a narrative to pitch to key stakeholders or to customers. And it's it's been a really rewarding experience for me. So strategic planning for nonprofits and small businesses, is this at all related to the day job that you have without getting into details? Because, you know, we want to keep that a little behind the uh, scenes. Sure. Uh, no, it's not. It's, um, it's just a side interest. And, um, you know, I, I, it's just something I, I started out pretty small and it's, it's still pretty small, but it's gradually grown. And um, like you said, you know, turning a passion into, into something more. Awesome. Well, good luck with that. And what brought you, you to the podcast? Uh, I mean, I assume because you work in financial services, you have an inherent interest in personal finance. That's just my connecting the dots. But what's your story? You know, I think you'd be surprised. Even people who work in finance can have the challenge in managing their personal finances. And um, I, it's just, I find that a lot of people around me, since personal finance is something that's not taught in school, uh, really struggle with it. And um, so I found that the way that you interweave stories with personal finance as well as, you know, entrepreneurship, that's something that uh, really attracted me to the show. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I think that uh, money can just be a relatively dry topic, but when you when you engage people around this comp- this topic through stories and real life experiences, and especially I love the episodes where we hear from people we may we may know from other respects because they're famous people in the world of in whatever world you know they're thought leaders, they're they're authors, they're on TV. We don't always hear this side of their story, and a lot of times the financial story um, was a struggle or was a, a you know a long road uh, to discovery. And I think that's very inspiring for everybody else who has ambitions and wants to be successful to know that, you know, if your money's not where you want it to be today, you can get there and still accomplish all your other goals. Uh, So I really appreciate all of those stories. They've taught me a lot for sure. All right. Ready to help some of our listeners, Ruben? And by the way, what's your number one money question right now? How can I help you? I think one question of mine would be, you know, how do young people go around, go about saving for a house just because, you know, with the down payment requirements and things these days, uh, 
it can be a daunting, daunting yes. financial goal to reach, you know? It's so. a big one, buying a house, mm-hmm. uh, not just mm-hmm. the price tag but and the mortgage, but also like you pointed out, a lot of the upfront costs like the down payment, the closing mm-hmm. costs. And I think that first, making sure that this is something that you're serious about, um, understanding that this is a long-term goal that of course if you've got the, the the cash windfall you can just go out there and you know <laughs> have at it go enjoy the market mm-hmm. and buy something you love but for most of us it's something that's going to take time so giving yourself that permission and that understanding that this is going to be maybe a 2 to 5 year achievement over the course of those years you're going to have to save maybe uh, improve your credit score too, because that's going to play a big role in the kind of interest mm-hmm. rate you would get when you get the mortgage. And so really working towards this goal like a marathon, you know, you got to train for it. You have mm-hmm. to kind of know all the inner workings and how to get yourself really ready for home ownership financially, capacity wise, emotionally too, because being a homeowner, it's not just making that monthly payment. It's like being a homeowner, you know, making sure you have Mm -hmm. the interest in running this house. Whatever happens, it's on you and you can't call your landlord. Uh, So I think once you kind of go through that exercise of understanding all that is involved, you might actually come out on the other side of things going, I'm going to rent <laughs> for, yeah. for as long as I want. <laughs> and to be honest, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that, yeah, there's this sentiment that our families raised us with this sentiment, a lot of us, that buying a home is a great investment and renting is throwing money down the toilet. And I think that you have to do the math and you have to also be psychologically ready. And if the, all of those things do end up working to in your favor as a homeowner, I think then be a homeowner and work towards that. That could be a fine goal. But it's not an assumption that is necessarily going to you know, net positive. And you have to kind of go through that exercise first of doing the math and really having those deep conversations with yourself and your partner if you're going if you're married like is this something we really want to do and do we want more flexibility in our lives do we want to be transient do we want to travel cuz then if that's true i don't know if home ownership right now makes sense for you but to your question about like how do i actually get the money if i if i have made up my mind i want to be a homeowner you got to start mm-hmm. prioritizing your paycheck, your, the way you allocate that paycheck to, to siphon off some for that down payment. And now, first step is maybe to try to run some online calculators to see what you would pre-qualify for, you know, with your mm-hmm. salary and your, uh, you know, your net worth, so to speak. What would you pre-qualify for if you were to go to a bank today? They would run the numbers and they'd say, "Okay, Ruben, you're gonna, you know, we'd we'd be comfortable giving you a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar mortgage." Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that that's the price tag of the home that you qualify for, because on top of that, you would want to um, have to put down maybe a down payment as well. So, and mm-hmm. that's cash. So that kind of gives you a target for like the home price that you would be comfortable affording. And mm-hmm. I would still even say be more conservative than a bank. Like a bank will come back and maybe give you a, a mortgage that's five times your salary or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, you really want to be sure that that monthly payment is no more than 28% of your take-home pay. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's even conservative uh, 
more than more conservative than some financial experts, other financial experts would deem. I just, I just feel like, you know, you don't want to go to sleep at night worrying about that mortgage payment. Chris Rock says there's a good mortgage and there's a bad mortgage. It's part of his latest Mm -hmm. act. If anyone's into stand up, I am. Um, and he's right because a bad mortgage is the one that keeps you stuck in that house because you're worried about affording a a dinner out because of the mortgage. You know, a good mortgage is one that like really opens up your life and gives you flexibility Mm -hmm. and, and is less than what you would pay in rent. It is less than, you know, uh, um, then like, you know, a lot of your other expenses added up uh, so that you can actually live a life. So just do the math, do some really good, you know, questioning, start siphoning off some of that paycheck into a reserve, like down payment fund and mm-hmm. start getting excited. Research, you know, look into the market. Even if you're not looking to buy this year or even next year, just start educating yourself about home values and the different neighborhoods and what your, how far your money can go. And it really can start to give you more perspective. Talk to homeowners, talk to realtors. It's, it's all good education for now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you thinking yeah. of buying in the near future? Yeah, potentially, potentially, you know, I mean, uh, as someone who lives in New York, rent can be very expensive and, um, you always wonder if, uh, owning your own home would be, um, you know, something where you can build a little equity and, right. um, and yeah, you know, just for long-term planning, but like you said, you know, uh, it, I think it's really important to run the numbers. It's, it's a topic that people get emotional about, and there's, there's a lot of psychological aspects to it too, just from what we were taught from our parents. But I do think what you say is important in that, you know, you got to make sure this is not something that's, that's tying you down and that's really going to enhance your, your lifestyle. Yeah. And the quality of your life, right? If it's going to be a drain Mm -hmm. on you financially and psychologically, no, just rent. (laughs) All right. So a question here that I'd love to tackle first is from Rana. And this is her situation. She wrote to me on Instagram. She recently accepted a job offer and she was even then not sure about taking on this job offer, but it became clear that she just had to because her current employer basically said to her, we're not going to be able to promote you at this time financially, title-wise. It's just not happening anytime soon. So she really wants to move on and up in her career and this other job came about and she took it. She accepted it recently. Come to find out that now that she's told her employer she's leaving, they want to counter. Okay, what? Like, okay, geez, why couldn't you have told me this before? But now that it's real and she's got given her two weeks notice, they've said, okay, you know what? We can promote you, but it's going to be conditional. So there's the condition, okay? They're going to offer her to double her pay almost for the next 12 months but only towards the end of those 12 months can they have another discussion about next steps. Like there, it's not guaranteed that this will be a permanent promotion. Um, mm-hmm. So there is that risk. But she says, this is financially, this staying with my current employer, making twice my income is it just is financially way better than the other job offer. So should I stay or should I leave? And I don't know. I kind of feel like she should stay. I feel like she should stay, uh, but not until she first goes back to 
the other place, even though she's accepted the offer. I mean, just be honest. Say, look, I wasn't expecting this at all. My employer told me they couldn't do anything for me. I willfully accepted your job offer only to find out now that my employer actually would be willing to keep me for double the salary. Don't tell them the condition. Don't tell them they're going to maybe give me the boot after 12 months. Just say, this is what I've been offered. And is there anything that you can do to sweeten the deal? Like I really, you know, if you do like this other employer, you know, be honest about that too. I really, you know, love your company. I, I love the idea of working here, but they're making it really hard for me now to, um, to stay true to my acceptance because of this financial, huge financial difference in pay and, and see what they would say. Um, I mean, life happens, right? This isn't, this was unintentional on your end. Your company kind of put this out at the last minute on you. And I think it's worth kind of like seeing it through a little bit and seeing maybe if the other employer would, the other job offer would sweeten the deal. And if not, I mean, I just feel like if you're going to get double your salary, take double your salary. And if they don't offer you a job after 12 months, your I think your responsibility with doubling your income is to save a ton more than you are now. Like pretend that you're still only making what the other job offer was and bank the rest so that if you do find yourself in 12 months out of a job, that you have the the, the financial runway to look for another job and not feel like you have to, you know, sort of take whatever first job you get. What do you think, Ruben? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I would agree with that. Um, I think first of all, yeah, it's important to just be transparent with the employer that she already accepted the job at, um, you never want to burn bridges. You'll be surprised that, um, you know, how small the world can be sometimes. Um, so it's just important to be transparent and honest and, you know, you could explain to them how, um, you know, the other companies willing to double your salary and you can see what kind of dialogue or discussion emerges from that. Um, I think your point about saving, uh, your money and acting like you're continuing to earn the same salary and saving that money is extremely critical because, then when the end of the two years comes up and say, maybe she doesn't get the promotion, she has a little more flexibility and leverage in terms of looking for other opportunities. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I just think like, this is a great gift if it does work out the way it does work out. If they end up giving you the extended promotion, even better. But if not, you need to look out for yourself. And the best way to do that is to hoard as much cash as you can over the next year. And um, I would also, I didn't mention this, but now thinking about it again, you know, in the spirit of transparency, getting your current employer to have something in writing from them in case you feel the need to show it to this other competing employer. Like this isn't stuff that you're, you're not making this up. I know it sounds like you made it up, <laughs> but you're really not making mm -hmm. it up. They actually did, uh, put a twist at, at, the, uh, at the at the end of the road here. So good luck, Rana, and let us know how things work out for you. All right. Jesse has a question about marriage and money. Ruben, are you partnered up yet or what's your situation? No, no I'm still single. Still single. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. I think you'd still have some perspective here for Jesse and I certainly do. 
She's mm-hmm. about to get married and uh, neither of them has yet to discuss how they're going to manage money in the, in the new relationship, in the, in the marriage, how they're, if or how they're going to commingle their finances. So um, what should she do? How does she broach the conversation? Well, happy to hear they've yet to tie the knot. Um, there's still time to, I mean, it's never too late, to be honest, to talk about money in your marriage or relationship, but preferably you do this before you tie the knot. It's good to just kind of square away some of the logistics and the how-tos prior to marriage. Um, and I think that there are a lot of things to consider here, but her question is really about how to how to break the topic, how to break the ice. And mm-hmm. I feel like you just have to break the break the ice like just just bring it up maybe uh not out of the blue maybe you first um do it via email like you know as you're probably communicating all day with your with your honey like texting emailing be like one of those texts or one of those emails should be like hey ps <laughs> um <laughs> you know since we're spending all this money on the wedding and you know finances have been coming up kind of maybe organically i just really feel like we should have some sort of a plan or some sort of a discussion around our money before before the wedding. Um, you know, and and if it helps, throw me into the conversation. I always tell couples, like, if you need someone, if you need to blame it on someone, blame me. Be like, I was listening to So Money and Farnoosh, you know, she's this uh, this woman and she's a little crazy sometimes, but she really recommends <laughs> that couples talk about their finances as soon as things start to get serious. And well, we're getting married, so what could be more serious? And you know, just to maybe put it, so a few things out in the open, like our salaries, our savings, our relative, our independent investments, debt levels, things like that. You may know some of these things, but it's really important to now as you're getting married to touch base again on these very basic things about each of your financial profiles. And so break the ice by either saying you heard on my podcast that it's really important to do this, or you can use an example of a, an acquaintance that you have, like, you know, Cheryl and Tom got married or Mary and, and Julie got married and they, you know, made sure to do this before they got married with their finances. And then it, I'll tell you what my husband and I did. You know, we were about to move in together. We weren't even engaged yet, but we were moving in together, which is, was a big step. And we went to our favorite bar and ordered margaritas and took post-it notes and pens and wrote down our individual incomes, um, savings totals, debt, if we had a you know, mortgage, things like that, um, 401k credit score. And we just swapped those numbers. We did like a numbers swap. And mm-hmm. it was, a, it was you know, part of me at that point wasn't, I didn't feel like I was going to be in for a big shock. I kind of felt like I had a, a sense of a lot of these things. But you, need, you just need to know, get it in writing. Because so many, Ruben, a lot of partners don't know each other's incomes. Yeah, that's true. That's shocking to me. You know, it's like, how do you not know that? Um, we know a lot of other things about our histories, you know, but we don't know the, uh, you know, salary history or just current salary. I think that's so basic. You got to know this stuff. And then the other thing to talk about is how are we going to manage expenses? Maybe this is the time to talk about opening up a shared savings account or checking account because you're going to be getting good news, some money from your guests for your wedding. That needs to go somewhere. <laughs> And I would love it to go into a joint account. I don't think everything needs to be shared, 
you know, I'm a big fan of yours, mine, and our account. But mm-hmm. maybe this could be a great way to, you know, hey, we're going to be getting all these checks. Maybe that's the icebreaker. We're getting all. The, I, I anticipate we'll be getting some money for our wedding, as most wedding, wedding. That's what happens at weddings. Uh, that's the good news. So we we should put this somewhere where we can both access it, and that could be the beginning of a bigger conversation about money. Have you ever talked about money with a partner, Ruben? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, even when you're just dating people, it's something that comes up. Uh, I think it can be a sensitive topic. Um, some people, you know, they view it as like, they may take it like, Oh, like if you love someone, then money shouldn't be an issue. And so I think that, you know, your suggestion about how to introduce it or how to bring it into the conversation is really good. Um, because you're, you're segueing it into there, especially the suggestion about, um, you know, hey, we're going to be getting all these wedding presents, you know, where are we going to put all that money? I think that's a great way um, to to start the conversation and then, you know, hopefully, you know, start some conversations about financial planning and planning your future together. Cool. Yeah. So, well, good yeah. luck. I mean, and this is like the fun stuff, planning a wedding can be a little stressful, but um, I think having a, a early conversation about this rather than later will benefit the two of you. And maybe too, you talk about prenups. I know that's a little, may seem a little uh, out there, but more and more couples are doing them because as you marry sometimes later in life or you marry with assets. So a lot of us are entrepreneurs. We have inheritances potentially. This is stuff that we do want to protect in the event of a breakup. And I know we don't want to think about that right now, but it's the sort of thing where, you know, it is do it in the spirit of love. Like we don't want, if we do break up in which we don't want to happen, but if that happens, we love each other so much that we don't want to make things even messier with not knowing how to manage the money or div- divvy up the money and the assets in that scenario. So we're going to just take care of it now and call it a day. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have time for one last question from Darren. And I wonder, Ruben, if you have had this experience. I certainly have. Um, I will admit that I can concur with what Darren is about to ask. And it is, is it okay to open up a credit card just for the rewards, the immediate rewards in some cases, and then really not use it afterwards? There is this one mm-hmm. card in particular that he says is offering tons and tons of travel rewards points, airline rewards. And by signing up and using the card for like, you know, a minimal amount for the first few months, he is uh, he is eligible for so many points that it basically ends up becoming like a free round trip ticket. Mm-hmm. And so he's tempted to open it up, but then really he doesn't care to use it after that. And is that right? Does like, how does that rank in? sort of like good financial practice versus bad financial practice. And I sort of feel like if he's not somebody who is in debt currently and has a handle on his finances and he sees this card as a way to leverage to get perks, I mean, mm-hmm. open it. And I wouldn't say like just abandon the card. Maybe the, the trick is to kind of keep it relatively active by assigning a one bill, one recurring bill to it every month that you pay off automatically with this card and then you resolve it with a checking account. 
Here's the reason why. If this is also a card that comes with a relatively healthy credit limit, that would help your credit score effectively. Uh, and mm-hmm. by not using the card after the first few months, it could go dormant. It could get shut off down the road by the credit issuer, credit card issuer, which would then take away that credit limit. And, you know, I know if he's not someone who has debt, it may not matter, but it's better to have more mixes of credit than fewer mixes of credit in general with your credit score. So that would be the one thing that I would say to do just to be a little more so a little so moneyer with with the, with this whole, you know, thing that you're trying to uh tackle, this whole kind of credit sort of like leveraging and there's people there are people out there that do this almost like a second job. Believe it or not, um, they look for these kinds of opportunities and they bank on them and they've got multiple, multiple credit cards. I just don't have the time or really the interest to do something like that. But there are certain credit score implications that you just want to know about uh, before you start to open up cards left and right. And of course, by opening up so many cards left and right, that's also a potential ding on your credit score. But some people just don't care and they just want the points. They want the freebies. So you just have to, and I've done this. I have done this. I've opened up a travel rewards card and, but I, but then, and I had all this ambition to use the card. And the truth is I never even use it to get the points. So I just, I failed myself. Uh, and I still have that card. It's a great card, by the way, with lots of uh, credit limit and maybe I'll use it one day, but I haven't had really the need. But so to your point, Darren, I think to this person's questions point, I think there are some benefits to it and you just have to be careful and mindful of some of these um, implications to your credit score. But uh, Ruben, have you ever done anything like this? Do you recommend it? Yeah. I mean, it definitely is it's very tempting, you know, like you walk into the airport, airlines are offering it. Um, you walk into stores, stores are offering it. So yeah, I've definitely opened up, um, cards either for a discount at a store or or to get some points up front. Uh, I think, like you said, as long as you're not in a lot of debt and as long as you remember to pay the bill on a regular basis, I like the idea of, um, you know, dedicating one expense that you're going to bill to that card and then paying it off. I think, you know, it could become a win-win situation where you're getting the points and you're also continuing to build your credit. Exactly. Exactly. So as a practice, I don't really know the first thing about doing this as like a side hustle. Some people do. Um, I know the points guy is someone who talks about this a lot and people Mm -hmm. love his advice. So if you want to kind of learn more about the ins and outs of doing something like this, I would refer you there. Uh, But that's a wrap. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, Jesse. Good luck on your, uh, your nuptials and Rana. Keep us posted. Ruben, thank you so much. And everybody check out K2CollaboratorsLLC.com and uh, tell us tell us also where you are on social if we can follow you. Oh, yeah. Uh, I do have a Facebook page. It's just look up K2Collaborators and uh, you should be able to find me. Thank you so much for joining, Ruben, and for reaching out You're and welcome. offering a co-host. Of course, of course. Thank you for having me. 